Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Text here from Dave to 630-630. He says, hey, Reed, I've liked what I've seen so far from Eric Griba. Do you think he'll be on the Oilers' opening day roster? Well, absolutely. I mean, I think Griba is going to be in there for the 6-7-D. What's interesting here is, uh, you know, I think Ryan uh, Stanton has looked uh, pretty good on the back end. We uh, profiled him on the face-off show yesterday. Johan Ovito, don't forget, though, is here on a one-way contract. So he probably has the inside edge to be the number 7 D-man. Maybe they keep eight defensemen off the top of the season and Stanton gets to stay up as well. We'll see how that plays out. Bill says, Reed, it's not looking like Jesse Puliyarvi will beat Slepeshev for a spot. Well, no, it doesn't. I, I mean, you got Strom on the right wing, you got Kajula, you got Cassian, Slepeshev. Uh, hurt, not a serious injury. I think we'll see him at some point here. I, I would have him penciled in ahead of Puglia Yarvi, but I will say this. I, it would not surprise me if Puglia Yarvi plays every remaining preseason game, or at least four of the five, because I think they got to get a look at him and see what they have, see how he's progressed, see if he can fit in and start making more plays. But that's uh, he's going to be one of the big storylines here as we move along. We had Drew Remenda on. I, look, I don't think Kyler Yamamoto makes the team, but I think he plays both preseason games and they see how he handles back-to-backs and if he can keep having an impact on the game. And then they move along from there. But I do think Yamamoto's been a good storyline in terms of how he has been able to handle himself here uh, at the pro level, albeit preseason. Oilers-Canucks tomorrow. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Ched, 7 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Bob is going to have the play-by-play. Jack Michaels will be uh, attending to a personal issue over the weekend. Rob Brown will have the play-by-play and join me during the intermissions and after the game. So that'll be fun. 709 Inside Sports on 630. Ched, we are the voice of the Oilers and Eskimos. Eskimos on a bye week. They play Winnipeg at Commonwealth, Brickfield at Commonwealth next Saturday night. And look, the uh, CFL officiating has been under fire, specifically in Eskimos games the last couple of weeks because of some uh, headshots delivered to Mike Riley that weren't called. There were some debatable pass interference calls, two of them against Toronto. Neither one went the Eskimos' way. And it's easy to sit back and dump on the officials and call them names and say they didn't do this, didn't do that. But let's put a little more of a personal story to it and uh, let's try to understand how officials are being evaluated and how they're trying to do their jobs. And I'm pleased to be joined by Brian Small, who is the head referee for both the Prairie Football Conference and Canada West, and he used to work in the CFL as well. Brian, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, before we get into some of the, the, the stuff we want to talk about here, I'm curious about your personal story. Uh, your road to becoming uh, official. It, look, it, as I just was kind of indicating, it can be a thankless job. It can be the kind of job where you're only pointed out when people think you did something wrong. Where did it all start for you? Well, it kind of started uh, back in the early 80s when I ran into an old friend of mine I went to high school with, Terry Connolly, and he suggested I get involved, and he was involved with the as a ball boy for the Eskimos, and he was doing amateur football. So that's how it got started. Back in about 1983, I started doing Bantam football, and 
went up to high school football and then a few years I got up into the Prairie Football Conference, moved that into uh, Canada West football and then uh, I got interviewed by uh, the Canadian Football League in about 1991 and I went up uh, when the expansion to the U.S. in 94 happened, I got lucky and uh, I uh, ended up there for three years. So it's been uh, quite a ride. What uh, what what spot, I mean, did you have a specific uh, job that you were, because like, I know side judge, back judge, umpire, was there something you always were? Or did you move around a bit? Well, I moved around a bit in amateur. And, and back in those days, what, what used to happen was if you were earmarked as a prospect, they would probably leave you on the sideline or downfield and that's I went in as a side judge downfield in 94 and then I moved over to line judge which is on the line of scrimmage as well so they kind of move you around like that but we pretty well stayed an amateur we tried to stay into those positions so we were getting a little used to it before we went anywhere else what what kept you going I mean look we've talked about the 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 criticism um and I know, I think in most sports, there can be a, a high sort of dropout rate, if you want to call it that. Young officials uh, don't stay in it because it can be it can be tough, it can be demanding, you can face a lot of criticism. What what kept you going and basically allowed you to make a career in officiating? Uh, basically, you know, you get into something you love to do, which is the game, and not too many people can can say at, a, at a, an advanced age, I'll leave it at that, that uh, you're involved on the field in a in a professional sport when I got into the Canadian Football League, but you're involved with the guys and you become a fraternity and the guys, you you, you spend a lot of time with the with the fellows on the football field. You do a lot of amateur games to get to 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 do the uh, even the amateur elite games. It's uh, uh, a lot of the guys do between 50 to 100 games a year, and that's between the 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 you know from August to November when when the playoffs happen so it's it's the camaraderie and the guys and being involved and and uh, it's uh, it's pretty decent exercise too. Brian Small joining us inside sports on six thirty. Chad, referee in chief for Canada West and the Prairie Football Conference. So you know I want to want to give people a, a perspective here of of what uh, officials go through. When we're looking at, I guess, Canada West specifically, is that the feeder system for the CFL, or how does it work? How do the best officials sort of rise to do the pro games? Yeah, we we basically are the feeder system for the Canadian Football League. There are uh, the Prairie Football Conference is sort of the stepping stone to the uh, to the U uh, Sport, which is CIS football. So uh, that's kind of where we're at with. Uh, with the feeder system and and so so there's a there's a sort of a whole system in place that that has started a few years back where we we are able to uh, get training and we get funding from the canadian football league um we get funding from canada west football and and the prairie football conference has been very very supportive as well so we've got a lot of people that have contributed to help us to try and get better to try and learn and try and train and 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 we got quite a system in place in Canada West, as a matter of fact. Okay. I, I think one thing people will be curious about, Brian, and I, I hear this all the time, hosting a show like this. I'm sure you hear it all the time. 
people see a mistake made or a call they want to question and they want to know, well, what happens to that ref? Does, does he get in trouble? Could, could, he, could, could he lose his job? You know, from your experience, can you give us a sense of, of how officials are evaluated and, and some of the things they might have to do to, to try to stay, stay on top of their job and, and the accountability they might face uh, after games, whether it's positive or negative? Well, I would suggest this to start, and that's that when a referee makes a mistake on the field and he knows he did, he feels worse than anybody and is the most self-critical of, the, of anybody that could be criticizing him. But what we do, and, and I'm going to relate it to Canada West, we have an evaluation system and a film session, uh, system where we have every referee in every regular season and playoff game in Canada West football. Uh, we have evaluators uh, in, in the West, and we've, uh, this is all through the support of Canada West football uh, and the executive with Canada West Sport. And what we do is we, we have, uh, it's called a system called HUDL. It's H-U-D-L, and it's a film evaluation um, that we have a coordinator. Daryl Barron has just done a great job. Uh, he's an ex-CFL official. He's done a lot of great cups. So he's our head uh, coordinator for the film work, and we have other CFL fellows in the West that go each game, each official, and we get evaluations on every game, and, and, and every penalty is evaluated. And we have a system where we get back to the officials so they can get better. I mean, it, I always relate it to, uh, you know, your starting quarterback throws three interceptions in a game. Are you going to yank him out the next game? Or are you going to try and make him better and show him what he did wrong? And that's what we try to do. We try and try and do a, 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 an evaluation of, and if they're making uh, habitual mistakes, well, we've got to identify that and see what's happened. But uh, to answer the one question you had was, yes, I mean, we will hold people out of games if there's a situation where we think we've got we to send a message or we've got to get them better. We owe it to the teams to provide that service, and uh, we take it pretty serious. Brian Small joining us, referee-in-chief for the Prairie Football Conference for Canada West, worked in the Canadian Football League as an official as well for several seasons. Uh, Brian, I, I got I to throw this one at you because it, it comes up a lot, and I think, I think sometimes fans throw this out there as a, and they think, well, if they just did this, everything would be fine. And that is, is you know, they say we, we need to have full-time officials in the CFL or whatever. I think the NFL might have a few. Um, I, but I always say, well, wait a minute, football is a fall sport, and most games are played Friday, Saturday, or Sunday in, in, in Canada, some, some, some games on Thursday. So maybe you can work a, a, a U-sports game Friday and a CFL game Sunday, I suppose, but I, I don't know how you would be a full-time official uh, the rest of the week. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this even realistic to take certain individuals and say you're a full-time football official? Well, I'm not sure, and I think that that question, that's a real good question because I think it's been discussed at length with the Canadian Football League, and I can't speak for them, but I, 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 you made some real good points with respect to the fact that it's a six-month Sport and uh, and you know uh, you know let's face it the, the NFL is uh, one of the largest leagues in the world and with the uh, large TV revenue and they've just come with this year with having I think 20 some officials that's full time and they've got probably 150 officials on their staff so uh, there's a lot of logistics involved I would think and there would be a lot of uh, training to do for the full time officials so I'm not quite sure 
um, you know, how that works. But uh, to, for the Canadian Football League, I'm not sure if uh, if it's uh, viable. Um, I guess uh, Glenn Johnson would be the guy to ask if that's even being discussed um, with respect to having full-time officials. I'm not, I'm not quite sure if I'm qualified to answer that. Okay. Well, I mean, you brought up some interesting stuff about the, 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 the evaluation, some of those behind-the-things, uh, I guess, mechanisms that, that we don't see as fans that, that hopefully are, are keeping the, the officials accountable. It's a sport that uh, I think has sometimes comp, maybe overly complex rules, and, and there's a lot going on on, uh, on Indian individual play. So, I mean, you, you, I think you've put a very human angle on this. Uh, I mean, it is obviously disappointing when we see things that like that have happened to Mike Riley that that, that aren't called, but uh, I think the leagues are trying to get it right. I mean, are you... Um, are you relatively optimistic about the future of, of officiating in football? I mean, are you seeing some younger guys coming up that you're confident can turn into real, or maybe already are turning into really good, uh, you know, CFL officials that are going to steady the game and keep it going forward? Yeah, you have to have your succession planning. You have to, and we've started doing that over the last, oh, quite a few years now in Canada West where we, we're really trying to, you have to have that blend, though, you have to have a blend of the veteran guys that can help the younger guys um, learn the ropes, and, and that's what we've done. Uh, and there's always a steady stream. I mean, uh, they're not easy to find the guys who want to commit and want to and have a feel for the game. I mean, that's another thing you have to think about. And we we really try and put a blend of young guys in there. And, and you know, sometimes we've been very fortunate in Canada West. The feedback we get from our own can, uh, CFL guys that come back and help uh, train our fellows in Canada West is phenomenal. I mean, you've got a lot of people that that are spending time, whether it be film work, whether it be going out to high school games to give some feedback to, you know, to the younger officials. And then you try them out. You have to try them out at the different levels and give them, expose them to that. I mean, we've got a lot of Canada West officials in the Canadian Football League, so we've we've been pretty successful over the years. And uh, you know, we just keep trying to trying to to be better and trying to get the keep the keep the flow of a good officiating if we can get it and if we're having challenges we've got to address it and, and we just keep going back and forth it's it's an age-old thing i think as long as i've been involved you we're always got something to work on do you have video review in canada west or pfc or is that not even practical well it, you know it's a funding issue right so yeah. i mean for for any any canada west game you're gonna have you're gonna have maybe i don't know how maybe two cameras so to do anything with video review, you'd have to have you'd have to have not only personnel, you'd have to have the, the wherewithal to do it. I mean, and uh, you know, I don't know if if uh, Canada West is even you know in thinking about something like that right now. Um, so I would suggest at this point it's not an, uh, an option. Okay. Brian, thanks for for your insight. Really interesting interview. I I hope we can talk again, but uh, really informative. Thanks for letting us know some of the things that are going on with officiating. I hope things go smooth for you and the leagues you oversee as well. Really appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for having me on. That is Brian Small checking in this evening, former CFL official referee-in-chief for the Prairie Junior Conference for Canada West as well. Uh, Really enjoyed talking to him and uh, I think putting a bit more of a human face on the guys wearing the stripes. And let's face it, it is a job where you only get pointed out if you do something wrong or uh, the fans of one team think something has gone wrong. And we have seen things go wrong, and we have seen things go wrong in, in relation to the Edmonton Eskimos. 
I, I think there are, as I've as Rob and I were talking about with some of the changes that the NHL is trying to implement too, there are bad rules sometimes as much as there is bad rule enforcement and, and you have to be able to separate the two. And video replay maybe sometimes isn't the blessing that we all hoped it would be <laughs> as, as well because it can complicate things too. You can let me know what you think at 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630-723. We'll take a timeout. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Manuge, three assists last night, 4-1 win over Winnipeg. Oilers home to the Canucks tomorrow. Jets on Saturday, Carolina on Monday. We'll have every game for you on 630 Chad. Kyler Yamamoto, looking like he's going to play one or both of the next two games. Wouldn't surprise me if he played both more on him on 630Ched.com. You can text 630-630. Just had a really good interview with Brian Small, Director of Officiating for Canada West and the Prairie Football Conference when it comes to football. John says, in my opinion, officials should have to face the media after games. Well, John, as a member of the media, I like that idea. I'm obviously highly biased biased because I would like to interview as many people as possible. I guess the thing is with that, would the fans, would that actually help the fans of the team who feel they have been wronged, right? Would you actually feel any better if a referee came out and said, well, you know, I watched the tape of that. I guess I missed the call. Would a league want the referees publicly admitting mistakes right after a game? Would you feel any better if the ref said, yeah, you know, it looked like Getzlaff tripped Nugent Hopkins in the slot, but what I saw was this, this, and this, so that's what, why I didn't call a penalty. I don't know if that would make people feel any better. That that just might fire things up even more, though we've never really tried it. I guess sometimes baseball umpires will talk to a, to a reporter after a game. Doesn't happen in football nor in hockey. We're going to try it for a year. Try it for a year. Here's what we got to do. we got to do the 7.30 news and weather. I think it might warm up on the weekend. Well... Nowhere to go but up with these temperatures, I guess, at this time of year. We will uh, meet Oil Kings defenseman Connor McDonald when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. 7.35 in the p.m. is the time of day. Jerome Messam from the Calgary Stampede is going to be a game-time decision Sunday in Saskatchewan. He took a uh, pretty big hit from Micah Awe against BC on the weekend. Awe has been fined for leading with the crown of his helmet on that hit. You can text 630-630, the phone number is 780-496-0063. 1-0, the Royals leading the Blue Jays. That game in the top of the ninth. Bit of a turnaround from yesterday's 15-5 debacle, though the Blue Jays are once again looking like they're going to be on the wrong end of the score. NFL Thursday nighter, 17-13, the Rams leading the 49ers. Three and a half minutes left in the first half. Hockey game in Shanghai today. Kings and Canucks are over there. Kings won at 5-2. They'll play in Beijing on Saturday. Oilers play the Canucks. Well, the Canucks that uh, didn't travel over there tomorrow. 
That's on 6.30, Ched. Other NHL preseason results, if you're interested. I feel like I, I should give preseason scores. Though, Can you gamble on preseason games? I'm sure in Vegas you can. Do they have yeah. them on Sports Select here, though? I don't know if they're on Sports Select. I don't but think like they have said, them on DraftKings, do they? You can get anything in Vegas. Well, true. You could bet on how long your shoes are going to stay on. There's people, that's, a, that's a bad example. There's probably people betting on whether or not you're going to, you know, drop foul language on tonight's show. Yeah, there's no NHL on DraftKings, which has become my... I don't know how to put it. So it's like, well put. Make it sound like I'm a gambling addict. Uh, I, uh, anyway, the, the Devils lead the Canadians 3-1 late in the third. In overtime, Flyers and Bruins are 1-1. Wild up 1-0 on the Jets after two. In the second period, Chicago 1, Detroit nothing. First period, Avalanche up 3-0 on the Stars. They only have five shots on goal. And uh, the Sharks will play the Golden Knights at 8.30. The Vegas Golden Knights. New to the NHL this season. Okay. Oh, the Flames went public with their offer, with their idea to build a new arena in Calgary. They said uh, they'll put in $275 million. $225 will come from the CRL, the Community Revitalization Levy. But they've said they've stopped talking to the city for now. We'll see how that plays out. Get more on the Oilers on 630Ched.com, of course. Got a little piece there about Kyler Yamamoto. He's looking pretty good through the preseason. The Oil Kings start up the Western Hockey League regular season Saturday in Red Deer. They will host the Rebels 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon at Rogers Place. Defenseman Connor McDonald eager to get the season going. I think everybody top to bottom throughout the organization uh, is very excited. Uh, you know, it's a day that we've had circled on our calendar uh, for a long time and uh, it was a really long off season for us, uh, longer than most of us probably have ever had. So I think uh, we're all just hungry for the opportunity uh, and uh, getting everything started. When you were traded here last season uh, in January, was that something you maybe you saw coming, or what was that adjustment like for you? Um, I mean, yes and no. Uh, you know, you, the deadline is a, is a time that you can really uh, bolt on and, and boost your roster or, uh, you know, you can start from scratch. Um, you know, uh, for me personally, didn't really hear much. Um, but when I had the uh, opportunity to come to Edmonton and, and come to a place like this and, and Rogers and being uh, in a situation like this, uh, a rebuilding team, a team on the rise, uh, how could you not want to be a part of that? So, uh, you know, I'm definitely thankful they brought me in and uh, happy to be here. I mean, you came here and right around the time the losing streak started and it was 16 games. And obviously that's tough. And I mean, you guys knew it was probably going to be a tough half of the year. Just talk about how the, how the team handled that and then, you know, what it felt like to, to break that streak. Um, I mean, the team handled it uh, exceedingly well. Uh, you know, the coaching staff uh, did an unbelievable job at, uh, you know, keeping the mood light for us and uh, really keeping it a friendly place to come. Because uh, let's be honest here, when you go on a streak like that, you can, you can really lose a handle and uh, you go into a downward spiral and you never come back up. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think the team handled it exceedingly well. I think we grew as, as a team and as uh, people as well, uh, you know, learning to be positive and uh, always finding the light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, you know, it, it's weird. You know, you'd think in something like that, you'd, uh, 
you'd really know. But I mean, you know, days were always fun, and, and we were consistently getting better. And that's all you can really ask for of a young team, uh, no matter what their situation. So, uh, you know, we handled it well, and uh, we learned that we never want to go through that again. So. Uh, you know, it, it, it was uh, something that you don't necessarily want to go through, uh, but I think it made us uh, a heck of a lot better in the long run. Connor McDonald from the Edmonton Oil Kings joining us tonight on Inside Sports. All right, I, I got to ask you, you got, your name is Connor McDonald. <laughs> do people ever bring that up or be like, wait a minute, that's almost his name? Uh, yeah, it's her, I've heard it a couple times. Um, you know, the first week here, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I think the Oilers tweeted at, at the Oil King saying uh, that name's got a bit of a ring to it, I guess, because, uh, you know, they've got the best player in the NHL uh, in their dressing room. Uh, it's funny enough, though, I've never met the guy or anything. Never, uh, can't say I've ever uh, met him met him up close or, or uh, you know, seen him in the hallways. Uh, seen him on the ice, seen him on TV lots, but, uh, you know, it's weird being under the same roof. You'd think that you'd run into him sooner or later and that day hasn't come yet, so hopefully, uh, hopefully that day will come uh, sooner rather than later. You know, when I was looking up your stats, uh, there's a lot of Connor McDonalds. There's a couple other hockey players. I think there's a Scottish soccer player named Connor McDonald. So you got a more common name than maybe you'd think. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I can't say I'm much of a soccer player. <laughs> uh, it's a, I mean, it's a gentleman's sport. Uh, I'm a bit of a bit of a rougher uh, player out there so I don't know if uh, soccer's a profession for me I, I think I'm doing better where I am now all right uh, just uh, you know expectations for for the team this season we touched on uh, obviously being uh, disappointing last year what do you think the Oil Kings identity or what would you like it to be this year uh, a team on the rise um, you know this franchise is uh, you know the benchmark franchise of the WHL um, you know, we expect to be good every year. Uh, the expectation of this organization for its players and, and everybody top to bottom is excellent. Um, so, I mean, this year, uh, we, we handled a bit of our growing pains last year, and I think we're hungry and ready to, uh, you know, push the pace a little bit more in the standings this year, uh, be a better team, stronger, and uh, make a... Uh, the opposition's life a bit more difficult uh, night in and night out when uh, when they play us. So, uh, you know, just be a tough team that, you know, people don't uh, think, okay, well, we're coming into Rogers, it's going to be an easy game, or Edmonton's coming into town. Um, you know, stats night. Uh, you know, we want to be a good, strong, battling team that, that can play with the big boys, and uh, we're ready to do some damage. Connor McDonald, defenseman for your Edmonton Oil Kings at Red Deer Saturday, home to Red Deer, 4 p.m. on Sunday. Be interesting to see how they bounce back from last season. It's 7.43. Pretty interesting story here coming up. It is a little different from uh, what we usually do, but, you know, sometimes we'll uh, we'll try some different things. There is an Oilers connection, and it's, it's a pretty amazing local story about a young lady who has made a very elite group. Coming up next, Inside Sports. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Well, TD Force is the head medical trainer for your Edmonton Oilers. His daughter, Katie, has 
just done something pretty amazing. She's heading to New York, and to tell that story, Katie Forrest joins me now. Katie, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Great today. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, this is a pleasure to talk to you, something uh, a little different, but uh, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. You are going to be a Radio City Rockette. Yes, in New York. I I can't even imagine the path to that. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's been definitely a long one, a lot of dancing, a lot of training, but um, it's all worth it for the end goal, and I'm very excited to start down there this fall. How old were you when you started dancing? I was three years old when I started dancing. Yeah, and I'm 20 now, so it's been been a long time. So pretty much your life, more or less, since you could walk competently. Absolutely, Uh, (laughs) yep. (laughs) Been growing up in dance studios, that's for sure. When did it become, you know, a real passion, high level, you know, serious type thing? Yeah, serious goal. I would probably say um, when I was 12, um, I actually ended up going um, to a dance intensive in Red Deer, and I met three sisters that were Radio City Rockettes. And um, from that instant, I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. This is my passion. Like, one day I want to be up on that stage in New York. And I think from then, that's when it really sparked for me um, the goal of becoming one. And from there, it was just, you know, nose to the ground, working hard and trying to get the goal. Yeah, okay, so that's incredible. So you, you've reached the goal. But now, what is... I mean, I, I can't even begin to understand. Do you audition? Do you send in a mm. demo tape? Do you have to, like, call somebody? Yeah. Okay, well, n- you audition for... There's an open call each year. There's normally two of them, one in the spring and one in August. And about, on average, 500 dancers show up um, to each audition every year. Um, on average, it takes four to six tries to get into the company. Um, I've been auditioning for two years now. Um, this was my fourth audition, and this August I got the call, which was very exciting. And so the audition kind of um, includes like a jazz combination, a tap combination, and a kick combination because they're famous for their eye-high kicks. And so each, um, I guess, audition, they have two days of those type of skill combinations that each dancer has to go through. Okay. So you made it through that, but yes. you'd auditioned before. How much did the previous yes. auditions help? I think the previous auditions helped greatly. It kind of calmed my nerves to kind of know what to expect, what would be next, how the day works, um, just kind of being in that room before, um, knowing some of the girls from standing in line, it's definitely more comforting than going in new and fresh-eyed. Um, so I think it really settled my nerves. I kind of knew what to expect and um, how to tackle it and how to train for the next one. Katie Force joining us in studio. Uh, Edmontonian, her uh, dad is the uh, head medical trainer for the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, she's going to be a Radio City Rockette. So, I mean... On this show, I talk a lot to people who have made it in, in pro sports, high-level sports, and how difficult that is. There are only 80 Rockettes, is that yes, correct? Yes, that and is I, correct. And I imagine there's not 80 jobs available every year, though. Nope, there's not. It's actually really difficult to um, get a company spot because there isn't a lot of turnover. Um, there are veterans that have been on this company for 14, 15, some even 20 years. Um There's women that just, it's a great job. It's in New York City, an art capital, and so no one really wants to leave it. It's a great gig. It's around Christmas time, and Christmas in New York, what would anyone want more? And so normally each year there's only about three to four spots available, most, max. Oh, wow, okay. So it is (laughs) not a lot of turnover. And there must be hundreds of people auditioning Mm -hmm. from all around the states and Canada and probably even the world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now uh, that you're going, do do you know 
what to ex- I mean, do you have to go now live in New York for X yes. number of years? What happens? Okay, so because I am new, we only get the contract for the Christmas season, which is from the end of September all the way through to January. And so I'll be down for those few months. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, um, we do a private audition again. Every, each year, every single Rocket has to audition again, but not in the public audition. That's 500 plus dancers, but in the private, okay. which is just the company. And so then I'll audition again. But I'm going down there, moving at the end of the month. Um, rehearsals start the beginning of October. Um, the end of September, we have costume fittings and shoe fittings, and we have to do physicals for strength and conditioning. And then we start shows November 10th. Okay, all through the Christmas season yes, until New Year's. Exactly. Okay, and then after that, then you 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 see basically. His, yeah, I okay, wait to see man, if they want us incredible. back. <laughs> that's incredible. Mm-hmm. That sounds uh, really stressful. Oh but, yes. but fun. <laughs> uh, and you're gonna. So, you, so are you putting your education on hold here for a while? Well, actually, yes. Um, originally, um, I would be this year a junior at the University of Arizona. I was down there on a dance scholarship for their dance program, uh, double majoring in political science. So this would have been the start of my junior year, but I got the call from the Radio City Rockettes this August. And so I was already a week and a half into the start of school, all set up. My dad helped me drive my car down, (laughs) completely set up, ready to stay. And then we got the call. And so that completely altered everything. And so now I'm taking a term of absence. I'm planning to come back in the spring because the contract ends before my school starts back and so we're just going to take it by day i guess do you know if there are any other canadians in the rockets right now yes there are a few for sure um i know the jancy sisters they actually are from red deer originally but trained in edmonton at oh, the neat. same studio okay. i trained at and so they are um in the rockets um and they're the ones that i know closely the ones i trained with in red deer that sparked the whole fascination with mm-hmm. the company okay. and started it all. <laughs> right on. Uh, Katie Force joining us. So she's going to New York to uh, dance with the Radio City Rockettes. The uh, connection to the Oilers is obviously uh, your dad, mm-hmm. um, who, I mean, it must be interesting for you growing up uh, with a father in, I mean, we were talking before we, we came, out, came on air in, in Major Junior mm-hmm. and then uh, and then in the National Hockey League. That was uh, a little different than most dads, definitely, I guess. Definitely, definitely different. Um, helpful when I got injuries, that's for sure. Right. But um, <laughs> it was great. He was great for advice, especially um, pursuing this goal. And I mean, it's not instantaneous and he's seen it through the players that you have to try hard, work hard. And even with the young guys coming in, um, the process it takes to get to a high level and what you have to put in in the hours and so he was definitely a good person to confide in and you know help motivate me when times got down or when I got frustrated because he's seen it firsthand especially with injuries or just things going slowly in a career and so he's been definitely a great help. Are you an Oilers fan? Of course, I'm an Oilers fan. Yes, (laughs) huge one. (laughs) I love it. Uh, How competitive is, I mean, I know it's competitive, but give me a sense of the nature of the competition in the dance world because you're often yes. dancing in sometimes even a large group where mm-hmm. there's teamwork and, and all that kind of stuff, but everybody wants spots. So what's the competition like? How can it affect the camaraderie mm-hmm. in a large group? Well, it's definitely difficult. I would say the arts especially is hard to get a career started or even a job in um, because it is such um, a small community. Everyone knows each other. Um, it's not like a huge corporation where there's thousands of jobs. Um it's definitely difficult getting started, but once you get into the community, it's definitely easier as you go. Um, as for like friendships and camaraderies, um, I definitely found that it's 
really supportive when I was in line waiting to go into Radio City for auditions. We were talking, like making friends with other girls. I'm actually um, rooming with three other new Rockettes that I met in line at the audition. So that's kind of fun. I honestly think it's because it's so hard to attain. um, Everyone is just really rooting each other on and hoping that someone new does get that opportunity. So it's been great with my experience, but it's definitely it's definitely hard to. I guess reach. Uh, you were so busy with dance. Were you? Did you do any other sports or athletic, physical type stuff? Okay. Yes, my dad definitely was pushing for some sports, and <laughs> I did skate when I was little. I played hockey for a little bit, and then I kind of went the volleyball route um, in junior high and did some. Um, I guess, intensives or camps over the summers. Um, My grandparents loved golf, and so I did golf and tennis camps, but really I stuck to dance, and I think as I learned that I wanted to pursue it at a more professional level, those things had to kind of dwindle down, and I had to focus mainly on dance, so high school was for sure just me in the studio dancing, getting that education as much as I could. Well, I mean, this this is incredible that you've been able to uh, to make the Radio City Rockettes. I, I hope it turns into even more thank wonderful you. opportunities. Katie, thanks so much for coming to Inside Sports. Thank you Sports. for having me so much.